Welcome to the Byron Dragway Podcast. My name is Randy Simpson. This episode is brought to you by FTI Performance. At FTI Performance, each converter and transmission is custom built to the customer's individual specifications. FTI is the standard in the high performance industry with their innovative state-of-the-art torque converter and transmission design. With the latest technology and design available nowhere else, it is clear to see why people are winning races everywhere in all categories of racing with FTI. Their customer-oriented technical support is the pride of the company and assures that you get the support you need when you need it. FTI Performance also serves as the entitlement sponsor of the FTI Performance Super Pro Box No Box category as part of the season-long Big Box Bracket Bash Series at Byron Dragway. So do your racing program a favor and look up FTIPerformance.com and be sure to tell them Byron Dragway sent you. In this episode, we get to know Brett Williamson. Brett is a 22-year-old bracket racing superstar from Rockford, Illinois. This wide-ranging interview deconstructs what it truly means to eat, sleep, and breathe drag racing. From waking up at 4.55 a.m. every morning to make time for the practice tree before school, to his father Larry's origins as a motorcycle racer, and how construction on his trademark 57 Chevy began when he was only four years old, I believe you will be truly amazed and also motivated by his work ethic and dedication. But first, a couple of quick announcements. Byron Dragway will be at the Race and Performance Expo February 22nd through the 23rd at the Renaissance Convention Center in Schaumburg, Illinois. Come see us and all the vendors on display. Visit RacePerformanceExpo.com. RacePerformanceExpo.com. The Byron Dragway Night of Champions Dinner and Awards Banquet is on Saturday, March 7th at the Radisson Hotel and Conference Center in Rockford. For more information and to RSVP, go to byrondragway.com banquet. And don't forget to mention Byron Dragway for a special discounted room rate if you're staying the night. Also, the NHRA chassis certifications are coming up on Saturday, May 9th. Appointments are filling up quickly, so make sure you get your name on the list. If you need to renew or just get a new certification in general for your chassis, go to byrondragway.com chassis for details and to schedule your appointment. And now let's hear from our featured guest, Brett Williamson. Brett, welcome to the Byron Dragway Podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, you guys inviting me on. This is a pretty cool deal, and uh, I hope everybody enjoys listening. Well, we've wanted to get you on here for some time, and I think that the listeners are going to really enjoy getting to know you, Brett. First thing we like to do is really get to know people's origins, how they got started in the sport, and you are uh, part of a father-son team, you and your father, Larry, and your origins probably begin with your dad. So can you tell us a little bit about how your dad found the sport of drag racing? Yeah, uh, I, I did grow up in the, the typical dad race before me and, and got me in it. Um, dad goes back to the very late 70s, about 79, uh, 78, 79. Dad uh, decided he really wanted to go racing. Um, he always had hot rod cars in high school, drove a 67 SS Chevelle in high school, um, but really wanted to go actual drag racing and uh dad has always been ambitious hard worker but uh he realized back then that uh probably the cheapest vehicle to race was a motorcycle and uh my dad had a uh cafe racer uh harley davidson that uh he started getting his feet wet with that and uh ran that for a relatively short time probably barely a year then he decided he really wanted to commit to going racing and um bought uh dad's always been true to harley davidson stuff uh that's what he's always loved and so dad bought uh 72 sportster from barry fisher um and they actually made a really good pair um barry kind of took dad under his wing coached him up really got him to uh understand racing you know uh hit the tree better you know make good consistent runs and uh dad rode that bike for 
a handful of years. Uh, and he decided to move on, went and got a Roadster, a center steer 23T altered uh, solid state Roadster that he bought from uh, Gary Haas, Scotty Haas' dad. Um, and dad raced that car actually for quite a while, almost all the way through the 80s. Uh, about 1990, he got a one of the very original rear engine dragsters. Um, only ran that for, I think, a couple years. Went back to the bikes, um, built a complete tube chassis, uh, stretch wheelbase, uh, Sportster, Harley-Davidson. Uh, raced that for a few years. The At that point, the bracket racing scene was really picking up a lot of speed. The, the money was starting to get right. Um, Dad decided he wanted to get a dragster, uh, bought a racecraft dragster, actually had several through them through the mid 90s but uh stuck with dragsters um all the way up until about 1997 when i was born and i put the brakes on that deal um dad used to travel a lot um all through the mid 90s he uh from norwalk to noble oklahoma to bowling green to huntsville to go to florida every year for the winter series i mean dad hit it Dad hit it hard all through the 90s. Um, the shop was going good. You know, he was racing was good. And, and then I was born, um, slowed that down quite a bit. He decided to uh, sell the dragster stuff. He bought a kind of a Pro Street 57. Um, really, really nice car. Uh, street legal. Uh, he had a small block in that car. And uh, anybody that knows us knows we run mechanical stack injection on our car now and speaking to my dad's ability to always go against the grain of what everybody says on that 57 which isn't the same car we run now but uh that 57 he ran that he drove that car on the street with a ron's fuel injection toilet on gas and drove me to school in that car and then would tow it to byron on bracket weekends and race it and have a ton of fun um he couldn't bring himself to cut that car up and make it what we have now. He wanted a dedicated race car, complete um, weapon of mass destruction, you know, uh, have something that was going to be really good everywhere we went. That car was too nice for him to justify cutting up, so he sold that car, and he decided we were going to build a complete tube chassis, uh, slam to the ground, the car we have today. And so he um, decided we, we went to Florida when I was about four or five years old, bought the body, for it and uh he bought a bunch of tubing we he made a jig a table and uh he decided he he, he built he decided he's gonna build a race car and that took i think 10 or 11 years of him working on that car never quit racing he got in the meantime he had a uh, 1992 chassis beretta um that uh, I grew up, that's the car that I know dad racing for the longest. Um, raced that car all the way up to, until 2012. The 57 got done. Uh, raced it for about a year and a half um, when it was brand new. Dad went through some pretty good health issues. He had, uh, uh, he went through a couple of deals. He's got a pacemaker and, and he was kind of off his feet for a little while. And in that time, we were building a dragster for me. I was, 15 going on 16 right around that area and he looked at me and said I, i'm not going to be able to finish that dragster for you to be 16 but his the 57 ran and was uh, uh, had been tested and he'd raced it for a while and everything was good and he uh he threw me the keys to a uh eight second door car um back then we quarter mile raced a lot and uh that car go about 890 at about 156 uh mid 570s all the time so i 16 years old, uh, jumped in a five-second door car in the eighth, and uh, as it's probably not too hard to tell, I never gave him his car back. So, we, and that's uh, the that's never, the car uh, you race today. Yes, yep. We've uh, Dad obviously has gotten healthy. You know, we we he races it from time to time, but he's pretty good about letting me stay in it myself. But yeah, that's the car that we've had today, and. One that uh, I'm never letting get away. I've, uh, we might have a lot of cars down the road, but this is one that's always going to stay here. Well, you covered a lot of ground here, Brett. We got some things to to go back on, and uh, 
you know, cover some of the stuff in detail here. So you said that uh, coming out of the scene yourself in the late 90s might have slowed your dad's racing down uh, in your words, but it sounds like you guys have been busy and active ever since. The car that you race today has really been a part of your life since you were four years old. Is that what you said? Yes. The uh, We took a cool – it was a pretty cool trip. We went in – it must, as best I can remember, it was winter here, but uh, we went down, Dad, I, and Toby, our employee that's worked for my dad for 20 years or so, uh, all went down in motorhome, open bed trailer, went down to Florida to get the body from U.S. Body, a company that, that uh, I believe and that they say is the most accurate fiberglass representation of what a real steel car would be. So we went down to Florida, got the body, uh seen some friends of his that live in florida we stopped at uh don garlic's museum of drag racing which was the coolest thing in the world when i was a little kid um got the body come back home and then the body set in the shop unmounted for the better part of five six years while he built the chassis and then finally set the body in the car and and, and the cool thing about the car that that so, i mean one of the coolest factors about that i think of the car makes the car what it is, is the car never left our shop for anything dad welded every tube ever bent every bar um mounted the body himself he painted the car wired it he built his own motors uh the car everything that's ever been done in that car has been done in the four walls that make up our shop and that's incredible you know you don't see too many stories there there are a few out there still where people do all their build the cars do the engine work but they are fewer and fewer and further between uh, where did your dad learn to do all that? Is he just a self-taught in all that area? Um, dad in the – so him out of high school, he went to a vocational school in Iowa actually to be more of a diesel mechanic than anything. And so – but he's always been mechanically inclined. Uh, he had his first 57 Chevy when he was 12 or 13, he had a paper route and always knew he was going to have a 57 Chevy. He's had more than we could count or ever keep track of, but um, yeah, a lot of self-taught ability, but, I mean, he'll credit a lot of the older guys, um, good guys he's been around that have taught him, but um, he's owned his own business since this business, Precision Cycle, since 1990, 89, 90 area. Um, he owned Milwaukee Harley, was joint owner uh, with the Kegel family of Milwaukee Harley-Davidson dealership um, in the 80s. So, I mean, he, he's been doing his own thing for a long, long time, um, has always just, I know he takes a lot of pride in being able to do a lot of things himself, um, have the shop that doesn't have to rely on anybody else to get it done. If we don't have it, um, we make it. If we can't figure out how to get it done with what we do have, and, and, and that the car has, you know, him being able to do everything he does, um, I learn something from every time we go work on a car. You know, every time you think he's his bag of tricks is empty, we he finds another one. So the car has been in your life since you were four years old. Do you remember your first time going to a racetrack, Brett? Uh, the very, very first time, no. But uh, I do have definite memories of that old 57 Chevy. We used to tow it to the racetrack. Dad had a... I think a 78 Dodge Power Wagon uh, truck, a old white open bed trailer that he towed that 57 on, and we parked. So at Byron, we would go around all the way around the back of the staging lanes up the right side hill to the staging lanes, and we would park next to the tree of that little road that kind of drives off out into the field um, when we parked there. And I remember sitting over there, watching dad work on a car and, and always telling him someday, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a race car driver just like you. I, I want to race. I want to race. I want to race. And, and, uh, it morphed into what we have today. So from your earliest memories, this is something that you have always wanted to do without question. It absolutely. Um, it's never been a question in my mind. Racing has, has been what I want to do. Um, Absolutely, and in fact, a a story that I don't really tell too often, but it, it speaks to the how long I've wanted to do this. That '57, the old car, 
dad had uh he being a single dad i went everywhere with him he took me everywhere rode me in the car uh, everything we did everything together but he would one day he had the car in the shop it was i think a saturday weekend uh, we were the only ones here he left me sit in the passenger seat of the car he was up under the hood he had it running just doing doing something tuning on it whatever and that car had a a quarter stick shifter at that time i think it was a power glide car so the park is all the way forward you pull the handle pull it all the way back it's in low gear and it takes off and uh dad was under the hood doing whatever i'm sitting in the passenger seat and evidently i had watched dad enough times put the car in gear that i decided today was the day i was going racing and uh <laughs> i i couldn't have been four or five years old but i grabbed that quarter stick shifter pulled it all the way back in low gear and the car started rolling forward and uh, being a fuel injected car it idled a little bit high and uh dad was up under the hood and next thing he knew the car was creeping forward and at that time in the shop we had a really really well built wood bench that was like mounted to the floor and to the wall and backside so the car rolled forward until it nosed up against the the bench there and dad like kind of jumped up on the bench to avoid getting crushed and um I'm too little to remember whatever the punishment was, if there was any, but uh, I think he knew he had his hands full from that day forward that I was, I was going to do, I was going to do the race car thing. No, it sounds like you've been destined for this for a a very, very long time. So it's interesting. Your dad spent a lot of time on motorcycles. Is that something that you've ever raced or ever consider racing yourself? Um, I I think so. Um, The, the motorcycle thing, dad, committed to the bike thing for a long, long time. And obviously, like I said, he got a roadster and then ended up going back to the bikes. Um, I think motorcycles are where his heart is. Dad, what he really likes, um, obviously our specific 57 Chevy is like his greatest love. But like, I think bikes as a whole is really what he likes to do. He says that if the rules were different than now they are today and the bikes could race against the cars he would he would probably still race a motorcycle um that's really the only reason he ever went to dragsters and that because the rules had changed to where the bike guys couldn't race against the cars and the so if if that rule were the same i think i could probably i would probably at least give a motorcycle a shot um dad always tells me uh if I can drive the finish line as well as I do in a door car, not being able to see my front wheels, he says, I can only imagine how good I could make you if I put you on a bike and let you, you know, be right on your front wheel, basically. And I just, I mean, I've had fast dirt bikes, had, you know, I've ridden bikes here at the shop. I mean, I like motorcycles. I just, I don't know. I like my seatbelts in my roll cage in my race car. I'm not real sure how enthused I'd be about going out there just hanging on. <laughs> I may not be a fast motorcycle racer if I were ever to be one, but I, I, I think I could do it. At least give it a shot. Well, I think a lot of people could agree with you on on that perspective, having the seat belts and strapping in and having a roll cage around you, a little extra bit of comfort in this sport. Uh, you'd mentioned going down to Florida, and I've been told before that you are a bit of a history buff when it comes to drag racing and the sport, and in particular, Big Daddy Don Garlitz is somebody that you really studied growing up. As a young guy, I guess, what drew you to the history of the sport, and in particular, Don Garlitz? I, I think specifically to him, it I, I saw a lot of parallels between him and my dad. They're, they're both very, uh, you know, have engineering type minds they like to be innovative uh in in looking at what don garlis was able to do the first to do so many things uh, uh went against the grain so often you know people haven't told them this is the way you got to do it we can't do it any better than this we can't go no faster we can't make it run no better and yet constantly found a way to do it better and better and better and better until we're to the point that you know every dragster conceived now is a rear engine dragster um, you know, the mono strut wing that he had built on his last fuel car has not come to be the way of how top fuel runs today, but every bracket car in the staging lanes has a mono strut wing on it now. I mean, I, I just, I was able, I latched on to the ability that I could see that they were the same kind of people. They were cut from the same call. Um, dad, like I said, it doesn't take 
much to look at me and my dad's program to realize that, that my dad puts a lot of value in, in what other people say and, and, and how to how to do things, but it, dad really believes, I think, more in his ability to be able to do it. I mean, the stack injection that we run started as something that dad just always wanted to do. He always thought it was cool and put it on there, and, and it just he kept getting it a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better, and every motor combination and everything got it just a little bit better, and it's to the point right now that I'm not sure I'd take it off for anything it starts as good as anybody's gas car carbureted car it idles 900 rpm like anybody's carbureted car i mean dad took that fuel injection that nobody would touch with a 10-foot pole and made it really good and and so i mean i the the interest in in don garlitz and even my other one that i would probably like equally as much as don garlitz would be warren johnson i mean i mean WJ was the guy. I mean, Pro Stock's my favorite class, and I mean, looking at what WJ's did in Pro Stock, I mean, he builds his own motors, does his own technology of of in-house work, just like you know my dad does. I mean, I just I've always liked being able to find ways to relate something in my own life to something elsewhere, and that that keeps me interested in it. Well, those are two fine mentors outside of your father in Don Garlitz and Warren Johnson. And, uh, you know, you bring up a couple of interesting points there I want to just point out is you guys hear the input or you receive information from other people or tips and things like that. But you really have to admire what you and your dad do, knowing that if you just do the same as everybody else, then I guess you can expect similar results as everyone else. But you guys really seek to you know, push the envelope, try new things. And in some ways that may be, uh, you know, seeking an advantage at the same time as doing something different, doing something like Don would do a little bit outside the box that, that suits your guys's needs and, and helps you perform. And you mentioned Warren Johnson and coming into this interview, i had been kind of thinking that I really know Brett as the competitor. You know, I spent a lot of my weekends in the tower overseeing things and and you are just somebody that eats, sleeps, and breathes the competition side of the sport. So, you know, part of me is asking myself, is Brett just really about the competition and the wind lights, or is he really a car guy? And I think you've really answered that question very early in this interview, but I'll never forget Warren Johnson was asked one time about a car and if it meant something to him or another. And this is one of his pro stock cars, and who knows how many years in and how many how many cars into his career this is, but he almost described the car as a 916th wrench. You know, this is a tool that helps me do my job and turn on a wind light. Uh, You know, obviously, you've mentioned this car that's been in your life for going on 20 years now. You grew up with it. You grew up loving and having a passion for the cars. So where does the love for the cars and then the competition side come together because you take this very serious you are about finding the wind lights uh kind of speak to that just a little bit the competition side brett um the competition side is is i feel like there's a beautiful marriage between what you said my love for cars in general my specific car and in its relation to just competition in general um i've always been a a wildly competitive person at I want to say anything and I think it is anything but really specifically things that I care about um, things that I really want to be good at I hate anything which isn't uncommon I think if you ask any racer or anybody they don't like to lose at anything but me it for me it's it's like I've never been okay with knowing that I left something on the table I could have did something a little bit better. Um, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, you look back and, and, and you realize what you could have did better after the fact, after you get the time slip and, and it and you see what you did. Oh, I could have I could have dialed this. I could've. For me, it's I, I've never felt okay with feeling like I could have worked a little harder. I could have I, I could have put in a few more hours, you know. Um, it eats me up knowing that if I'm sitting at home goofing off or, or, or I'm out late with friends or whatever, I've never been okay thinking that I'm 
I'm not getting any better better right now and somebody out there's outworking me getting better making their car better making their stuff better making themselves better and I'm stagnating I'm I'm not getting any better I'm 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 as good as I was yesterday I, I've just never sat right with that and that's why um dad and I have never shied away from working on the car from from trying things that don't sometimes don't work out right you know the first time but we we catalog that and put it away and and someday we might come back to it and a little bit smarter and try it again and see if we can't make it work I mean we've you know at the end of the year the perfect example would have been the last race at Byron the the four and ten weekend in October uh I was driving pretty good on Saturday I think it was fourth round or so um I lost low gear um I let go and and the car was just not there and then I finally just reached over and shifted in second and it took back off and um I had every every gear was gone it said second gear I put it in low gear and it acted like neutral I put it in neutral it backed up it was just I, I all I had was second gear and it it was maybe 50 degrees outside and I looked at dad and said I you know I got a transmission that I can leave in second, but I didn't have any other gear. So it was, it, we looked at each other and said, the, the answer is real simple. We got to go home, put a transmission in it. We went home, uh, put a transmission in it. We're up till about two o'clock in the morning, uh, fought some other problems that had compounded because the transmission broke. And we went back out there Sunday morning, uh, which that transmission had a different gear ratio in it. Um, it was a, it was a, a significant change. And, um, but we never, we didn't shy away from the work. We both knew what had to be done. If I wanted to race on Sunday for that 10 grander, we had to go home, put transmission in it. And as fate would have it, uh, you know, I was still in when it got dark and the race was split. So, I mean, the, I think we made a good call. I was still in when the race was over. So, um, the work and the hours put in behind the scenes, the, the practice, the everything, I just, the competitor in me hates to lose and knowing that I could be getting better and there's probably somebody out there getting better and I'm not, it's just, it eats me up inside. I can't, I can't handle it. So people like to throw around the term, eat, sleep, breathe, dedication, hard work, all of those things. You gave a very specific example during the course of a race weekend, what that looks like. Uh, you mentioned staying sharp. You mentioned getting better. Uh, this is February when we're recording this. What do you do between races? And then what do you do between seasons to really hone your craft, improve? Uh, I, I guess, I mean, try to be specific from sunrise to sunset. Drag racing consumes your mind, your life. But give us specific examples what that actually looks like. Yeah, so... Um... Right now, like you said, it's February. Uh, I'm, what would it be, four or five months removed from my last race at the Million. Um, so it's 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 been a while since I've been in any car. Excuse me. Uh, but I've not let racing fall to the wayside. Um, so I don't know. Not very many people know. Uh, I guess how dedicated I am to to practice but i look at racing as we have a unique sport pretty much every other sport you can just about practice every facet of of another sport um but racing we have a unique deal that you can't practice driving the finish line you can't practice uh you know doing good burnouts and doing all that we you know we don't get to drive the cars six months out of the year living up here where we do so but there is one uh, element of the game that I can practice, and that's the starting line and letting go well and having a good routine on the starting line. And so my off season, this is the most uh, rigorous I've done, and I'm getting older and, and, and got a little more control over, you know, the hours that I run and, and the things that I do. But being uh, this from that last race at the Million in October up to now, um, Every day, without fail, I get up at 4.55 in the morning, I shower, eat something uh, relatively light, and I have a full-size practice tree in the house here, um, and I I hooked the practice tree up, I got my helmet, my driving jacket, I have a steering wheel with um, all the buttons that I have in the car, the 
of various transreg buttons that I use depending on what I'm trying to do. Um, I have all that. I put my shoes on. So, I mean, I, I, I got a old computer chair that I put seat belts on. Um, I get suited up as close as I can be as getting in the car. And I hit the tree for basically until I feel good. Um, I've never really, like, kept a timer or nothing, but um, I know that I've got a, a window. i got to be – on weekdays, i got to be at college at, at 7.30. So, if, But if I get finished with my shower or whatever and I get on the tree by 5.30, 5.45, I've got a good hour, a little over an hour to hit the tree. So every day I hit the tree, uh, top, bottom. Uh, I, you know, practice foot break. I practice – I believe that, you know, I, I think it makes me better. Uh, it, it's absolutely made me better. I've seen the results on the racetrack last year. Um, but that that's my really uh, aggressive off-season uh, deal. And th- that's in the morning. If if I manage to get home from college and or, or work or whatever, because um, most of the time I'll be at college till about noon, go to work, and then – some nights I have a college class at night that runs relatively late. And um, if I can, most nights that I'm not at college after work, I'll hit the tree again at night. Um, but in season, when we're in the swing of things and I'm racing every weekend, um, I still practice every day. Um, I may not quite get up that early because um, I don't have college at 7.30. Um, you know, I, I can get up just a little bit later Uh but the, the 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 nuts and bolts of it are the same. I hit tree, get get uh you know I in the summer I'll just keep my other helmet and other stuff in the house here um, so I can hit it. Uh, but it, I, I I think there's there's no substitute for racing. I mean as much as I love practice and as, as serious as I take it, I think just going racing every weekend, getting seat time in the car, uh, you know going. I put a premium on making a lot of runs. I think uh, the last couple of years I've gotten a little bit light. I've had we've had a, a couple engine problems that kind of stalled us out through the middle of the year, and then really put a damper on the end of the year. But uh, a couple of years ago, I think uh, maybe 2017 or so, I made about 405 runs. Um, so I think the more that I race, the more looks I get at the tree. The the more looks I get at the finish line, the, the it, it starts to get a real rhythm feel to it every week, um, especially when we get races that are starting on Thursday and Friday. I've only got three or four days off instead of a full five or six or seven if I got a complete, you know, week off. So, um, yeah, I, I just I practice a lot. Um, uh, I'm actually an avid reader. I really like to read uh, specific books uh, i really like sports obviously sports psychology is real specific but just general psychology i like to understand why people do the things that they do under certain conditions so i really like to read golf psychology books i read uh actually recently i really gotten into reading baseball specifically pitcher pitching psychology books i even read a really good one uh, the psychology of poker, uh, not necessarily specifically how to play the game of poker, because um, I don't even know how to play poker, but uh, the mental side of being a good poker player, knowing, uh, you know, what tactics to use to try and win, um, all really interesting. You know, I try to apply something from all of them. I think that there's parallels to racing with all of them, golf, uh, pitching, poker, I think. I think. I can take something, if I can take even just something away from all of them and put it in, in my routine and, and things that I do in the car, I can get just even 1% better. I'm happy. It's very interesting. You bring up the parallels between drag racing and other more traditional stick and ball sports. And you see in the traditional sports world where there are people that just have physical gifts, abilities, natural talent, uh, in your opinion, in relation to you, how much do you think in drag racing and to yourself personally, do you think that you've got a, a, a talent or a, a natural talent or a gift for this versus how much of what you do on the racetrack is the result of the work and the effort you put in? I, I think the in the sport we have today, we have a lot of things that can take – uh, that can make somebody who who's not necessarily 
supremely gifted and we can make them a really good racer with delay boxes and having really good cars, you know, four length suspended dragsters and, and, and really good track prep and having, you know, good tire technology. I and mean, we've got a lot of things that make that, that can just take a, an average person and make them a, a, a relatively good racer, somebody that, that can make continually good runs, um, which makes it, which has taken the field and narrowed the window a lot. It, it, in before my time when drag racing in, in my dad's era, the window was a lot larger. You could, you know, not every you didn't have transmissions that were made to go drag racing. Didn't have good trans brakes or valve bodies, and didn't have good tires. And everybody was learning. You know, we've got stuff that you can just flip open the book and buy good stuff. Um, I think the the separation between the average racer that just has a good car and they like racing but racing is kind of secondary they you know that the, uh they got a wife or kids and got a family and, and and there's nothing wrong with that but like racing's second third fourth down the line for them um what separates them guys from maybe more um guys like me and my dad or or, or guys that that closer to doing it um full time is the amount of hours we dedicate to it, the practice that I have, and then I think it, I think there has to be some element of, of you're, you're born being able to do things uh, at a at a higher level than, than other people are. I mean, I think there's some things that can't be taught, and even if you can teach a, a skill, there you can. Some people are just able to take it to a whole other uh, level or a whole other degree of the way that they do it. Um, I, I think me. The years I didn't practice and the years I didn't uh, when I was younger and, and I think when I was first getting into the big car, I think I relied a lot on what I felt was my talent and, and, and just I felt like I could I could lean more on that than, than really putting in a lot of the practice hours and a lot of the, the behind-the-scenes work. And I did fine. I, I won my fair share, I, I but I always wondered how – how good I could have been sooner it had I been as disciplined as I am now that I'm a little older. But uh, specifically to answer your question, I mean, I, I do feel like uh, it, you can't say that, that somebody can do it at a level that, that we're trying to do it at without being supremely talented. I mean, it, you know, you go out there and do some things in the car that, that are really technical and require a lot of, uh, ability to do well and do it over and be able to call on that ability whenever you need to is is something that not everybody I think has um, but I do believe that, that there's absolutely avenues that that you can do to compensate or learn those abilities you know there's we got drag racing schools that that tell you how to hit the tree how to drive the finish on better how to be a, a more consistent at, at doing things the the intricacies of driving the car um, so, I mean, there's never been a better time to, to be able to improve. You know, they're, they're, we're selling this information on the Internet uh, to to go learn how to drag race better. So, I mean, it's it's narrowed the window. It's made it harder for the guys that are just supremely talented because everybody that maybe doesn't have that talent, they're covering for maybe their slightly less heightened uh, ability by having extremely good equipment. And that's really, really made racing – to me, it, it, it's fun. You know, when when the window's tight and you got to be good all the time, and and it it takes a nine or ten really good runs to go out there and win a win a, a bracket race. I mean, not, to me, that's fun. I, I I think racing's arguably never been better than it is right now. Well, you are constantly looking to improve, and I'm curious. You said a couple of years ago, 405 laps down the track, uh, rounds that you ran. What do you feel like you learn from the most? The rounds that you win or the rounds that you lose? Um, in the moment, you, I'm probably not learning much when I win because I'm 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 stuck on the fact that we won. You know, we clearly did something more right than the other guy. Um, the losing runs, uh, typically, I'm I'm really dissecting in a hurry like as soon as you know i get i get back to the trailer and get a free minute to breathe i'm really looking it over trying to, to decide what i saw on the racetrack the decision i made um was it necessarily even a wrong decision and was it just that that it didn't work out and, and um 
So in the short term, I think I learned more from the losing runs. Um, but over time, I, I look at old logbooks, look at old tickets, go back and, and, and really look at some some races that I won when I was younger or, or even recently, but have been a, I've had some time to, to, to step away from that. Um, and I look at runs that, you know, I won, but I, I maybe didn't make the right call, but it worked out. Um, and, and maybe try to be more prepared for the next time I get in that situation to make a, a, a more textbook right call for, for what I should have did. Um, cause I put a I put a pretty good value on winning ugly. You know, you could make the wrong call or do something wrong and still win. I think that take, there's something to be said about that. But um, no, I, I I think I learned from both. Uh, probably bottom line, I probably do learn more from the losing runs just because there's clear cut that you didn't do something right enough to deserve to win that round or that race. So um, there's we got some work to do. Some some self-reflection some dissection to do and 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 then we we adjust and regroup and and move forward and try and do it right the next time we go taking a step back you had mentioned that when your dad was racing uh, long before you were around barry fisher played a very important role in really elevating his performance taking his drag racing from an interest in hot rodding and an interest in racing to really becoming a competitive racer. I'm curious, uh, outside of your dad, who you've mentioned already, uh, who was a mentor or what racers have really had an influence on you outside of your dad? Um, absolutely. Uh, Monty and Barry, they, they were, uh, they'd been with my dad since way back in about 1980. Um, and, and they, you know, they live just, around the corner up the street from us so we've always had a really close relationship with them uh and and as dad grew um from the motorcycle thing and, and kind of went off and, and did his own thing I obviously always remained really close contact um, um you know they're the closest thing we had to neighbors basically and one of dad's oldest friends um but when i got into juniors and, and i got i was starting to get my feet wet with going racing um Barry kind of, Monty and Barry kind of re-entered that role that they were in back then with my dad by, you know, teaching me, because uh, dad was, a, you know, he's busy, owns his own business, trying to race his car, the Beretta we had back then, I mean, obviously really wanted to teach me how to do it, but I mean, you're, you're spread pretty thin at, at, at some level, and, excuse me, so Barry had come in, and, and I'd always you know, knew that, that he was a really good racer, um, um, had won a lot of track championships and, and, and I still to this day credit him with a lot of my ability, why I'm such a good bottom ball racer. Um, because he instilled me, I was seven, eight years old, right when I was turning the corner to start racing, he had set me down on the practice tree. He actually had a pedal for the tree so that I could actually learn to use my feet because in a junior, we don't have buttons. Um, and he really, he's the one that kind of instilled in me the understanding the, the more technical side of racing, like, you know, forget about driving the car for a minute, how to read the time slip, how to understand the story that it's telling you as, as you read down it and compare runs to each other. He, he was the one that really, uh, showed me that there's a lot of information on the time slip. There's a lot that you can learn. Um, even though it's just black and white and it's just numbers. Um, he was, as everybody knows, a real math guy, um, really liked the numbers, and, and I do too. I mean, I really like looking at the numbers, figuring out the spread, figuring out, uh, um, you know, split times and, and where we're losing it or where we're gaining it. Um, he's it'd been my oldest um, person that invested in me and really wanted to see me do well and, and was there with me all the way up till the end when he passed last year. Um I hate that I'd never, I mean, I've won some, some significant races. I mean, I've, I've been, I've done some really good things up to this point in my career. I, I really hated that before he passed, I wasn't able to, to really win one that mattered, you know, go out and win a 50 grand or something. I really wanted uh, him to be around for me to do that. But I don't think it was even three, four weeks after he had passed that I went and, I made it to my first $20,000 final at the SFG race in, in Cedar Falls. So, I mean, I, 
I'm, I, I take a lot of the things he taught me still. I use them to this day in the car. Um, beyond him and my dad, who've been my closest probably that were there for me as young as I can remember, um, the folk family's always been really, really good to me. I latched onto them at a young age because, you know, flipping through National Dragster and and, and uh, the old IHRA magazines, it was every week, you know, Brian and Nick were winning something somewhere. General was winning, you know, I think they got something like five, six world championships between them. Um, they've, you know, Ron and Vicky and Brian and Nick have always been really good to me, both on the business side of, you know, doing business, buying parts and stuff from them to personally, uh, you know, they've let me go racing a lot with them, going to motorhome with them to places, help, learn, um, even got a really cool opportunity to, to drive a car for them at the million a couple of years ago. I got to drive the wagon, which, um, really cool deal. One of my favorite memories. Um, it didn't work out quite as, as successful as we had wanted it to, but, uh, um, I really had a good time and hopefully, uh, get that opportunity again. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, it, back when I was younger and like I said, they were doing a lot of driving schools. Luke Bogacki had came to do a school with, with Brian and Nick and, and I had, I think me and Luke get along really well just because, uh, I think we're really similar people, pretty laid back, uh, really love racing, really intense about it, but we're able to usually keep our head on our shoulders pretty straight. And I mean, I think I was about 12 or 13 when I first met Luke and, uh, We've always kept really close contact. Um, Luke's someone that has always been really good about letting me pick his brain about some things, uh, anything to do with both racing the car physically versus even just business and, and, and you know, some life choices that do affect racing, um, college and that kind of thing. Luke's always been really good to me. Um, in, in recent years, I've gotten to be uh, – really good friends with Wes May. Wes is, uh, uh, and same thing. I think, uh, really good square, uh, loves racing, works, works really hard. Uh, really enjoys the, the nitty gritty side of racing, getting better, improving, uh, works on his car really hard to make it really well as well as the driving ability. Um, me and Wes, uh, have same, almost same relationship with Luke. I text Wes, you know anything i need help on anything you know what do you think about this uh what do you think i could have did better here uh you know just and and i mean it, it i could keep going i mean jason lynch has been really good to me i mean i i think i've always had a wanted to be around the guys that that you know you can see have something that not everybody else does as the kid that would go racing with my dad and and, and you know sit in the bleachers and and, and watch and and say someday I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do it just like these guys. I want to race. And and you see and, and you watch long enough, you see that there's a group of guys that they're doing it a little different and a little better and and and, and got something that maybe not everybody else has. And I set out. I says I'm I, I want to learn from them guys what what they're doing that separates them from everybody else. And 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 I've been lucky that everybody's been pretty well receiving of being letting me you know kind of form friendships and and be around them and, and, and learn and pick their brains. And, and now even we're to the point that I can stand in there with them guys. And, and I've been fortunate enough to race a lot of them. And, and actually it's, I've beat them on occasions and, and had some good days against them. But I mean, going back to, to the a question you asked earlier about the talent versus the hardworking thing. I mean, I think absolutely I got some natural ability, but I, there's no question the people that I've been able to surround myself around from my dad to, to, to when Barry was helping me to, to the folk family and Luke and Wes and, and, and just a lot of guys that, that have believed in me, invested in me, let me uh, open their knowledge bank up to me and, and even now down to letting me drive their cars. I mean, Walt believed in me. Go, We went to the million together. That was one of the only times I've ever raced without my dad. Um, Walt, me and Walt went to the million for five days um, and uh, did pretty good, got down to – I think 19 cars, whatever the round before the split was. I mean, uh, Walter wasn't really good to my dad. Um, Spencer, uh, Spencer Cole lives in Durand. A good, good friend of mine lets me drive his Camaro, usually at about the drop of the hat. Um, anytime I call, I, our car's broke or, or, uh, dad wants to drive at Byron or something and, and, uh, or anywhere local, uh, Spencer will usually let me drive a white car and we got a pretty good history, uh, together. So, 
just a lot of I've, I've been fortunate and blessed to be around a lot of really good people um i can't i can't forget uh, charlie ham has always been really good to me i he gave me one of the first dial boards on a junior i had a motorcycle battery with a dial board on a junior um that was really cool he's always been really good to me i mean i i, I put a lot of my a, a really significant percentage of my success on the guys i've been fortunate to be around i mean i mean you surround yourself with good people winners guys that that uh, uh that really enjoy what they're doing i think you're in a really good spot to see yourself become what they are and maybe even better well you've got a fine list of who's who's as far as role models and mentors in your career brett and you know you're still a young guy and maybe you don't see yourself uh you know you you look at things from the shoes you are in and the role models you look up to but I think that you're also going to find that someone, you know, there's going to be a 10 or 11 or 12 year old that listens to this podcast or that comes out to the racetrack and looks at you in the same way you looked at Barry, your father, the folks, the list goes on. So with that being said, you know, you will be a mentor or you will be a role model to the next generation of drag racers. What would be the piece of advice that either you've received and you'd want to pass on, or what would be just the one piece of advice that you would give to that uh, the the young up and comer that looks up to you? Um, that that's a that's a tough question. That um to pick one thing, uh, you know, probably it, it it's probably got to be the, the the work ethic part. Um, the uh you know things more than likely aren't going to happen unless you you put the wheels in motion yourself um you know sitting around and and kind of hoping or waiting for a situation to kind of fall in your lap is is a maybe not the most productive or proactive approach to to take if if you want to to go racing and 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 do this at a at a any level basically um the you know I was blessed to, to be born in a family with a dad that does it. He had a race car, you know. It wasn't uh, it wasn't difficult for me to get in racing, um, and 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 I understand that not everybody has that luxury. That you know maybe a kid takes a really liking to racing, but there's no racing in his family. That's a really difficult road to take um, to to start on your own. Um, but I, I think the work ethic um, and and the the desire to to go do basically be in control of your own destiny um uh work hard learn the things um you know is because i hate to ever think about it and 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 i i don't ever want to see the day come but man you know there's going to come a day when our dads aren't around and, and the older guys that we look up to aren't around and and we don't have them to to, to go and uh ask what should i do here you know someday we're going to have to 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 figure out how to get it done ourselves and and so learn from the older guys and, and the smart guys you know even if 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 you're not you know even if you're a young kid and, and you know you're maybe not necessarily in a conversation that they're having or, or in an issue that they're part of just listen and and soak it up and and, and try and and understand and and because the sooner you understand something or a concept or an idea or how to fix a problem or make a make an adjustment to something the you have more time for the rest of your life and the rest of your career to, to be good at it you know my dad always tells me he you know he waited a lot longer you know obviously because racing didn't really get super popular and so he was about 23 24 years old and he looks at me and says man you know you've been racing since you were you know seven eight years old and and i had a whatever that is 15 year jump to, to be before he started racing. So, I mean, the sooner that you can latch on to some skills and some smart people and, and, and start to to apply those things, I think you'll be better sooner. So absolutely, uh, you know, be proactive and, and, and take control of the things that you want to happen. you got to take some steps to, to make sure that, you know, that ball starts rolling in the direction you want it to. No, you said that very well, Brett. Uh, You know, there are people in, whether it's in racing or anything, there are always people that have come before you and they've learned the hard way. And like you say, if you can learn from someone's experience before you, really leaning on their experience so that 
maybe you don't have to learn the hard way in one aspect of racing or in life, then in some ways it can leapfrog and help catapult you uh, to the next level so you're not just starting square one, but you kind of do get a little bit of a leg up or an advantage. So what goals do you have for yourself, be short-term, long-term? Where do you see yourself going with drag racing? Um. I obviously I want to stay here for for a long time. Um, I, I think our sport has a really neat aspect that there's no there's no set end. You can do this until you no longer feel like you want to do it, or you could do it long past you feel like you're competitive and you're just having a good time. Like you do this until your body pretty well gives up. Like I think you know that's <clears throat> excuse me. Not like many other sports. You know, any, many other sports you can't play past a certain age or you can't. Uh, uh, be in the game past a, a certain age point. So, I mean, I I see myself, uh, you know, Lord willing and financially able to do this until uh, you know my life's over. I don't I don't love anything else in life like I do racing. Um, so my uh, outside the car goals for racing would be probably to to be able to. Uh, find myself in a job that that uh surrounds racing that is uh, either working for or in some type of relationship with a company that's uh, got its roots in racing or around racing um you know i think it's really difficult if not next to impossible to completely depend on an income from racing because it's just such an up and down deal i mean the best your best weekend could result in no profit and other weekends that I maybe feel like I feel like I drive middle of the road, you know, kind of just average or, or, uh, not maybe put my quite my best foot forward, work out really well. And, and we come out ahead. So racing is a really difficult thing. I think to maybe try and put all your eggs in the make a living racing basket. So, um, maybe try and supplement an income with racing and, and have a, a really good job in a, in a company that, that is, a rooted around racing um in the car um i i I got you know lofty pretty lofty goals but i I feel like they're they're not out of reach they're not uh disproportionate to to the abilities that i have and and the 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 chances that i feel like i'm going to be able to to take advantage of i i I think it it goes without saying uh, i'd really like to be able to win a million um the original million uh, probably the most prestigious race around. Um, you know, I've been doing it for over 20 years now. Uh, I think to to have your name on that list would be, it means, you know, you did it right when the, the lights were on the brightest and, and, and the, the stage was as big as it's ever going to get. Um, to be able to say you, you had all your ducks in a row that day and, and is, is a really cool thing to say. I'd, um, I, I, I will say, the the race may not be what it used to be but to me uh it's it's right up there with the million i want to win the stanton 50 grander uh the original 50 um you know uh mike ledford and them guys at at mid michigan um that's a really important race um i dad always tells me stories of racing there before it was a 50 when it was only 20 to win like and and i know that race is uh, maybe not up there on everybody's bucket list like it maybe used to be um 50 grainers have kind of become commonplace now there used to be a time where there was only two or three 50 grainers in a year and the stanton one was the the top of the list there but to me i want i want to win that race really bad um same thing you go down the list of guys that have won that race and it's it's uh a lot of the guys i look up to and the guys that have made this the sport of sportsman drag racing really really what it is so i'd really like to win the 50 um aside from that i think uh obviously i just want i I go every weekend with the goal of winning everywhere i go um i feel like every time we drop the trailer door somewhere i got a really i'm really competitive i've really got a good shot to win um this you know shorter term you know the races that are on the on the chopping block here in the near future there's a, they got a twenty thousand dollar window box race in Norwalk. I think that'd be a really really, uh, neat race to win. Norwalk's a really cool track. Uh, twenty grand on the bottom is kind of unheard of. You know, we make a a lot of five, ten, 
you know, thousand dollar win races on the bottom, twenty grand on the bottom is getting getting significant. You know, that's a pretty cool deal to win, and the group of guys that go there is a, uh, you know, be able to beat them guys means a lot. Um, I am uh, about as part time as you can get as a foot brake racer, but uh, you're supposed to have a hundred thousand dollar foot brake race Labor Day. Uh, I think it's Labor Day uh, this year. If we'll see if I can get how I get uh, acclimated to foot recreation. I don't do it very often, but $100,000 is pretty enticing. And uh, I think I can call on some of my old uh, ability in a junior. If I can remember how to swap feet well enough, I, I, I might go give a, that a try. Um, it goes without saying, I don't think there's a person with a pulse that would say they don't want to win the, the SFG 1.1 million that, you know, uh, the guaranteed to be the highest paying drag race ever uh, at a facility that, I actually have a, a great deal of history and, and, and good track record at. I think that'd be a really neat race to win. But I, I'd love to say I'm not greedy, but I am greedy. But, uh, I, I mean, I just want to win, uh, you know, significant races, 50 granders, you know, stuff that, that uh, to me is is life-altering money, you know, that would really change the situation that I'm in. But I just – I treat uh, – $500 to win gambler's race Saturday night at Byron like I treat going to the million in Montgomery like I, I win like I, I want to win like there's if I don't win life is you know I'm, I feel like I'd be better off if I won this race so we might as well go win it like so I try not to put too much weight on the significance of the race and just go out there and try to be smooth be fluid, do a good job, make good decisions, and, and, and by the end of the day, you'll find yourself where you want to be. So, um, generally, I just, by the time it's all said and done, and, and, and I'm, you know, like I said, I don't ever plan on quitting racing, but maybe in the years where I'm not competitive anymore, or, or I'm one of the old guys, I hope to, when the young kids want to talk about who the, who the guys that were really good at this sport um, at one time, I hope I'm at least mentioned in that conversation by the time it's over. Well, with a list of goals like that, if you can check those off, there's no doubt you won't be uh, a member of that list. You'll be, uh, you'll be at the top of it without doubt. So, uh, Brett, you've got a lot of work to do. I don't want to take you away from, as you said before, if you're not getting better than somebody else is. And while we're talking about racing, you've got things to do to actually keep your uh, improvement going in drag racing. One thing I want to get from you before you leave, though, is you mentioned sports psychology books. Uh, I guess leave an action item for everybody listening to the podcast. What is the one book that you think every drag racer should read before the 2020 season? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, the shelf of the library I got is uh, relatively full with them subject matter books, but uh, I think one of my favorite ones and it's actually a, a not even nailed down a specific sport or even actually sports in general but uh just a a life book that i think you can apply directly to racing and, and the principles that we have in the car um it's called atomic habits by james clear um really 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 good book um he uh harps on the principle of of what i said what i haven't in, in my philosophy of constantly getting better every day. Um, one of his favorite things to say is a uh, 1% better every day. And, uh, there's a cool formula in there. It's kind of a, 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 like I said, I'm a little bit of a math guy. Um, there's a formula in there that would hypothetically say if you could, if you could, uh, actually physically track improvement and say you got 1% better every day for a year, um, you would be 30, I think it's, they rounded up to 38, it's like 37.5% better at the end of the year than you were when you started making that 1% day improvement versus if you were to get 1% better or 1% worse, excuse me, every day for a year, you would be without any, like without any talent at all. So um, it's a really good book, you know, harps on the ability, you know, sometimes we go day to day and don't see any improvement. Um, you know, 1% is really hard to see, uh, but I'm okay with 1% improvement because you compound that over a long period of time. 1% turns into a really big gain. So that's a re that's one of my absolute favorite books um, that doesn't, you know, kind of pigeonhole the subject of the book to one. I know not everybody likes golf. Not everybody likes baseball. So, I mean, um, 
Atomic Habits by James Clear is, is right up there with one of my absolute favorite books. Well, that might be trending on Amazon before this is over. People might be uh, downloading or getting it sent to their house because everybody's looking for that little edge, and you have certainly found it, Brett. Is there anybody, before we're done here, that you want to thank uh, for helping you out, be it uh, your father or sponsors? Um, yeah, I got to, I got a few people that are right on me. Um, obviously, my dad, uh, he puts up with me on a day-to-day basis, which is uh, – I'm sure tough to do. Uh, my dad, um, like I said, folk race cars, um, Brian, Nick, General, uh, Digital Delay, Charlie Hama, uh, Dixie Racing Products, uh, Matt Cook, Owen Shocks, um, has helped me out a lot last few years. Uh, Autometer, um, Mark Erickson and them guys at the Autometer have been really good to me. Um, like I said, uh, Walt, um, let me drive his car, uh, Big Black Sean also this year let me drive his car. Uh, uh, Spencer, same thing. A lot of guys let me drive their cars when I was down and out and needed a ride. Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> them guys are, have always been really good to me, and I'm sure I'm absolutely leaving leaving some people out to put on the spot like this. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I appreciate, uh, you know, same thing, Luke Bogacki, this is Bracket Racing, um, you know, have been a believer in me for a while, and uh, and, and I really believe in the products they all put out, um, and uh, I appreciate their support, and I, I think 2020 is going to be a, a year to remember for sure. Well, Brett, we appreciate you jumping on the Fire and Dragway podcast with us, and we'll be seeing you here in just a couple of months out of the track. Yes, I look forward to it. Uh, I'm Already ready for Memorial Day. Excellent. Brett, we will see you then. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Byron Dragway podcast. And again, a special thank you to FTI Performance, presenting sponsor of today's episode. If you want to join our growing list of sponsors and also be featured on future episodes of the Byron Dragway podcast, the Byron Dragway TV live streams, and so much more, then head over to byrondragway.com slash advertising to get started. Plans begin at just $42 a month. Again, $42 a month gets you involved as a sponsor at Byron Dragway. Go to byrondragway.com slash advertising. We appreciate you listening. Please share the podcast. And until next time, thank you for listening.